had a great idea for a movie the other day. Oh, yeah. You want to hear it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you've seen a zombie movie, right? Mm-hmm. They're pretty great, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So my idea is what if zombies actually existed in real life? What do you mean? Okay, I mean, there's a lot of zombie movies. And, you know, they're scary and everything, you know? But everyone knows that, you know, zombies aren't real. Yeah. But in this movie, they actually would be real. So, your idea for a movie is what if zombies were real? Yes, exactly. That's it. But isn't that what a zombie movie already is? Yeah, but that's just a movie. Yeah. But in the movie, zombies are supposed to be real. Right, but in this movie, it'd actually be real. But anything that's in any movie is supposed to be real. Uh, no, not really. Yeah. So Star Wars is supposed to be real? In the movies, yes. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But that's how fiction works. All right, it's fine. And then this is nonfiction. Like a documentary. We're not making real zombies. Okay, so let me get this straight. It's not a zombie movie, but it's a movie about zombies. And it's nonfiction. But it's not a documentary because it's fake. And the zombies are real, but they're played by actors. You're way overcomplicating this. Kevin, I don't, I don't think that this is a real thing that could be made. No offense. No offense. You're a great guy. I think this idea is a little over your head. Everybody here has been saying that, you know, you're not that smart. There's an email thread about it. Well, for, this is absolutely true. For five years, I've been looking for any excuse to use that video. And, <laughs> and when I found out that our topic tonight was being real, and those guys used the word real 11 times trying to figure out how to make a zombie movie. But uh, this is not about how fiction works. This is about how real life works. Yes. So, so to one, tonight we want to talk about being real. I remember uh, meeting with one of my group leaders a couple years ago uh, for lunch, and as we sat, or not one of my group leaders, but a guy in my group, and as we were talking over lunch, he shared with me a little bit more of his story. Uh, he shared with me something he hadn't shared before, but he had been through a previous marriage, he had been divorced, he was now in his second marriage, and he was struggling with some anger issues, uh, he was having some tension in his current marriage, and, and as he was sharing, me, uh, sharing with me about this, he stopped and he looked me in the eyes and he said, we need to change what we're doing in group. Group is not working and people are not being real. And we just need to get all of our junk on the table and really help people out. And when he said that to me, I was a little bit taken back. Uh, in my pride, I was thinking, okay, I'm the community group's pastor. So if any group should be healthy and people should be real, it should be my group. And so I felt like his critique of our group really wasn't just a critique of, of our group, but a critique of me as a leader, that as a leader, I wasn't being real. That as a leader, mm -hmm. I was failing at one of our most important group leader essentials, which is to model authenticity. So over the last few trainings, we've been working our way through our six group leader essentials that we think are essential or to having an effective or a healthy group. And so those six essentials are to pursue Christ to cultivate relationships, to promote participation, that's what we talked about at our fall training, to model authenticity, to provide care, and to replace yourself. And so tonight we want to talk about essential number four, 
modeling authenticity. And we believe that when we as leaders model authenticity, we create an, we create an environment in our group where people can be known for who they really are. And, and I think God has given us an inborn desire to be known. We want to be known by God. We want to be known by others. And the people that we want to be around are the people that know everything about us, and yet they still want to be our friend. Um, really, in our, in our best relationships, in our closest friendships, we are deeply known and we are still loved. Being known for who we really are paves the way for us to become who we are meant to be. So as group leaders, our goal in groups should be able to create an environment where we can be real. And if that doesn't happen in our group, then we can end up having a lot of conversations, uh, but maybe not really cultivating real friendships. Or we can treat symptoms, uh, but not heart-level issues. Or maybe we even breed hypocrisy in our group instead of transformation. Really, we can't experience true transformation unless we acknowledge the reality of who we really are. Yeah. And if modeling authenticity came naturally, we wouldn't even be having this talk. So, but even though we desire authenticity, there are barriers uh, to authenticity. Barriers that come from us as leaders. Uh, I want talk to talk about some barriers to authenticity. And as we do, if you're like me, your mind is immediately going to run to that person in your group and that event or that behavior or that problem it affects. Do not go there. These are issues that we as leaders own 1,000%. And so some of the things, what are some of the things within us that provide a barrier to modeling authenticity? Well, it could be our apathy. We may have led group for years and we go on autopilot and without intention we drift to the surface. Or it could be our fear. I mean, we fear that we'll share and it won't make a difference. Or we fear we're going to share and it will make a difference. It's going to make things worse. I mean, if people knew me, they wouldn't want to follow me. Well, I think that's important to know. <laughs> but uh, nine times out of ten, I think that when you do that, you will actually gain influence. But for that one time out of ten, where it's an issue that really does impact your leadership, I think we need to get ahead of that, and we'll talk about that more a little later. It could be our shame. I mean, exposing ourselves is hard. There's a reason we all have nightmares about being naked in public. It's not <laughs> a pleasant experience. Uh, and shame feeds and flourishes on silence and secrets. Uh, so we can have three options. We can stay quiet and let people continue to love uh, fake me, or we can be real and let them reject real me, or the third and far more likely option is that we can share honestly and experience grace and give others courage to do the same. And uh, also from within, it could just be our pride. I mean, I like who people think I am. We all want to be the person our dog thinks we are. I mean, I don't do embarrassment, right? There's pride that gets in the way. But these are some of the barriers that we own as leaders that keep us from modeling authenticity. But then there's other barriers. Again, we own these as leaders, but there are behaviors that we practice as leaders which inhibit or squelch others expressing authenticity. So what are the things that limit the authenticity that can be practiced in our group? Well, it could be our impatience. Can't these people just get it together already? I mean, didn't we pray for this last week? Didn't we pray for this the week before that? Uh, or maybe it's our bandwidth. I mean, are we willing to put in the time necessary to build relationships? 
well, how much time is that? Well, there was a recent study at the University of Kansas, um, and then it found out that it takes about 50 hours of socializing to go from acquaintance to casual friend, an additional 40 hours to become a real friend, and a total of 200 hours to become a close friend. Are we willing to put in the time? Or it could be our responses that squelch authenticity. We could respond with silence. Silence is a horrible response. Uh, this awkward moment passes, and now we really have made it worse. Remember, silence is rapid grow for shame. Or it could be advice. We advise. We rush into advice. Quick advice shuts people down. Uh, are you quicker to offer advice or to expose your own need? And the last one is a failure to follow up. Anytime someone in your group makes a big share, please, please, please follow up. I heard a story about a woman who was in a women's group, and she shared something very hard, horrible you know, from her life, that she had been raped, and no one followed up with her. Now, I, I can see how that would happen. I mean, it's uncomfortable. I'm, I'm not that close to her. Someone else, you know, is closer to her. I'm sure someone took care of it. But whatever the circumstance, what do you think the response was for that brave survivor? What do you think happened to her shame with that silence? Uh, and I know that I've been guilty um, of not following up well enough or quickly enough with people. I think some, I, sometimes people will share something with me, and I'll take it in stride because it's not that big of a deal. I mean, I'll just say, hey, we all struggle, but for them it's a huge deal, and I don't pick up on that. And if I don't follow up with them, I can think of a specific example where the relationship became awkward, and then I have to do the hard work of repairing that relationship. Always follow up when people are real. Yeah, so how do we break these barriers to authenticity? Uh, well, really, it starts with us. It starts with us as leaders, and that's the whole point of our training tonight, that we will model authenticity. So in a normal relationship, what happens is first you establish trust with a person, and then you share openly from your life. And that's how it's going to happen with the people in your group, unless as leaders we reverse that cycle. And so we reverse that cycle by as leaders first leading with authenticity, which is then is going to develop trust in our group and enable people to feel safe enough to share their life in an honest way. Mm-hmm. But, but what does it actually look like to lead with authenticity? Well, I think it starts when we set expectations for our group. And there's a couple different ways that we can set expectations. One, we can talk about it so we can remind our group, hey, this is what we're trying to pursue in our group. Or number two, we can model it. We can set that example for our group members. Yeah, and there are several natural opportunities to talk about it with your group. We're just about to kick off a trimester, and I would urge you to review with your group your group, um, your trimester, your group agreement at the beginning of the trimester. And part of that agreement says, I will strive to build authentic relationships and will keep anything that is shared strictly confidential and within a group. Now, you may be thinking, there's no one new in our group. I, we've, I've been leading the same people for a long time. But I would just urge you, take this time to be intentional, to remind ourselves of why we're here. Uh, another time that can be a good time is weekly, when we do prayer time. Uh, I know some groups will say at the beginning of their prayer time, we have limited time for sharing and praying, so we'd ask that you only share prayer requests related to what's happening in your life. Now, if you have other requests related to someone else, another situation, you can email us or text us, and we'd be happy to uh, pray for that. But this time, we want this time to be for you. 
Yeah, so the group agreement and prayer time reminders, those are great opportunities to remind your group that, hey, we want to be real. We want to be authentic. But if we only uh, talk about being authentic and we don't model it ourselves, then what's going to happen is our group leaders, our, our group members are going to follow our example and they're not going to follow our words. So how do we actually model authenticity? And I want to address two areas in, the, in which I think we can do this well. And the first one, we're going to go heavy and go hard right away, but it's through confessing sin, through confessing sin. So in James 5.16, James says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. So if we are encouraged as believers to confess our sins to each other, then my question is, where is that happening within the church? Uh, Where is that happening within our church, at Northridge Church? If community groups are our primary relational environment at Northridge, and if in our community groups people are not confessing their sins to each other, then to some degree we are failing as a church to create an environment where people can find the healing that comes through confession. I want to share with you a quote from the book Life Together from Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he writes about biblical community. In this book, he talks about our tendency to conceal our sin. He says this, He who is alone with his sin is utterly alone. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone in our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. As leaders, we set the example in our groups, like Jason said. If we conceal our sin, so will our group members. But when we are open about our sin, not only will we ourselves find healing, but we'll provide the opportunity for others to find healing themselves. Uh, Years ago, I can remember quite clearly uh, sitting in my living room in prayer time with the guys. And I, I felt the need to share, and I did share that I had gone some places on the web that I should not have gone. And I remember that Eric Henry was sitting next to me. He was brand new to our group, dragged there by his girlfriend, a new Christian, and he turned to me and he said, we do that here? And it reminds me of a quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, The Four Loves. He says, friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. So whether it's admitting you yelled at your wife or that you were lazy at work or that you watched that inappropriate movie or crossed a boundary with your girlfriend or boyfriend or you gossiped about your coworkers, uh, you ignored your family or you failed to live up to some commitment. Um, confessing your sin to your group allows you to find forgiveness but also gives your group the opportunity um, to do the same. So maybe you're feeling a little bit of a tension right now. Um, what if there's something that uh, you need to confess, but you think if you share it with your group, it's going to cause you to lose your influence with your group members? Or what if there's a sin in your life that if your group members found out, it would cause them to lose their trust in you? What do you do? Uh, well, there's a couple things I want to say about this. First, community group is one environment to confess our sins, but it's not the only one. Uh, Last year, Drew had a sermon called Small Church where he talked about biblical community. And he talked about in groups, we'll be able to establish relationships that are personal and authentic, but most of our relationships are probably not going to be intimate. That in reality, we only have capacity for maybe two or three intimate relationships in our life at any one given time. 
So there may be some things that you're not going to share with everyone or maybe anyone in your group, but you should share it with someone. And if there's a sin that you can't confess to your group, make sure you do have someone that you can confess it to. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe you're here tonight um, because, or maybe tonight, there, there's a sin issue in your life. And, and that if it came to light, it might mean that you shouldn't be leading a group right now. And what we want to say is that we're more concerned with your soul than your role. And really, maybe you're here tonight because God wants to deal that final and decisive blow to your sin by bringing it into the light. And so maybe you need to take a break from leading a group for a while. But that is far better than losing your soul. Solomon writes in Proverbs 28, 13, he says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. And so we want to say this, if you need to step out of leading your group for a while to address that area of sin in your life, we as coaches, we as a staff, we are here to walk alongside of you. But part of modeling authenticity is confessing our sin no matter what the repercussions. Now often when we think about modeling authenticity, we think about this heavy stuff. We think about (laughs) confessing our sin or sharing our struggles or sharing our weaknesses. But modeling authenticity is so much more than that. Yeah, I was talking to Jason, and I think just going through these six um, essentials, this is probably the heaviest one, and Jason has talked about heavy, important stuff, but the majority of our interactions are not going to be like this. They shouldn't be like this. The vast majority of our interactions in group are going to be on a far lighter note, but that is also an opportunity to model authenticity by sharing your life. And one of the best ways to share your life is just to take advantage of the weekly icebreaker. Use it to float out a few more tidbits about yourself. Do people know where you're from, where you went to school, uh, who your favorite sports team is, what you do with your downtime? (laughs) (laughs) Look at the sacrifice of this man sitting here (laughs) right now. But, uh, and maybe even kitchen with snacks. You know, you're just taking advantage of those times to get to know each other. But, like we said before, if it stops there, I don't think it's enough. I mean, are we willing to make the investment in time? Are we willing to go beyond the limits of our weekly meeting and share life with one another? If you are a mom with toddlers, maybe you can schedule play dates with other moms. And if there's women in your group who don't have kids, they can still meet you at the zoo, or you could invite them to share more mundane you know, parts of your life. Uh, Jason shared with me a story um, from Mike Buonacorso where he invited some of the guys in his group over to his house to help him install kitchen flooring. <laughs> well played, Mike. Well played. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I, I had a snow shoveling party at my house. Not one guy showed up. <laughs> uh, I'm a huge Northwestern football fan, so if anyone knows, this was a painful year. They finished 3-9. and nine. But a year ago... They made it to the Big Ten Championship so for the first time ever. So I was going to the Big Ten Championship. And my co-leader, Joe Park, said, let's, let's, let's road trip out there. And we did, and we had a blast. Now, you're not going to intersect with everyone and every interest in life, but look for those overlaps. Look for those intersections and invite people to share in the rhythms of your life. Let them get to know the real you. All right, so as we said at the beginning tonight, being known for who we really are paves the way for us to become who we are meant to be. Uh, So as leaders, let's model authenticity. As leaders, uh, let's be real. 
So what we want to do with the rest of our time together tonight is talk about this a little bit at our tables. And so there's a couple questions uh, for you to discuss. You'll see them on the screen behind me. But the first question is, what is one way that you can better model authenticity uh, based on some of the things that Brad and I talked about tonight? And then number two, uh, similar to what Brad just shared, what is one rhythm from your life that you can invite your group members to join you in? So we'll talk about those for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then Brad's going to come up and wrap things up tonight. Thanks. All right. How's everyone doing? Got it all figured out? All right. Sure there's some great discussion. All right. So let me close with these thoughts. Um, During the Vietnam War, Admiral Jim Stockdale was the highest-ranking officer at the Hanoi Hilton, the Vietnamese prisoner of war camp. Uh, During his eight years in prison, uh, from 1965 to 1973, he was tortured more than 20 times. Throughout his stay, he had no rights as a prisoner. He had no set release date. He had no certainty that he would ever see his family again. And he was the senior officer. He was responsible for doing everything in his power to help his fellow prisoners survive. Now, I first heard about Jim Stockdale by reading Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, where he interviews Admiral Stockdale. And he asked Stockdale, who didn't make it out? Oh, that's easy. The optimists. The optimists? I don't understand. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to get out by Christmas. And then Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they'd say, we're going to get out by Easter. And Easter would come and Easter would go. And then it was Thanksgiving. And then it was by Christmas again. And then they died of a broken heart. And what Jim Stockdale learned from that experience, these are his words, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline of confronting the brutal facts of your present reality, whatever they might be. Now, Collins called that the Stockdale paradox. Brutal honesty about our present plus relentless optimism about the future. Now, we've spent all night (laughs) over here, authenticity, being honest about where we really are. I have struggled with this same sin for decades, and I don't know how things will ever change. No, I don't know how I will repair my relationship with my daughter, and I don't believe she will ever forgive me. But what justification do we have for optimism about the future? Well, the Stockdale paradox is really the gospel paradox. Our present situation is that even as Christians, we still fall into self-destructive habits with plenty of collateral damage. But we have hope. Why? Because we have a promise straight from Scripture. Being confident of this, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And the very first step on that journey is getting over ourselves and sharing who and where we really are. So, thanks for coming tonight. Uh, There's some snacks at your table Uh, Feel free to hang out, share some life, uh, but go get your kids first. (laughs) And I do have a message from the security team saying it's icing up out there, so watch your step, watch yourself heading home. Thanks, and good night.